You're listening to audio from Redeemer Church in Lubbock, Texas. Redeemer Church is a gospel-centered, missional family of disciples making disciples and churches planting churches. If you would like to get more information or donate to this ministry, please visit RedeemerLubbock.org. Well, good morning. My name is Jacob. I'm one of the non-staff pastors here, and I'm really glad to be here today. And I'm glad you're here. I hope you survived Thanksgiving, and I hope you had a good one. Uh, I know many of you may not have, and I'm so sorry for that, but do want you to know that we care about you here at this church. No matter what kind of Thanksgiving you had, we care about you a lot. And so we're going to dive into the Bible a little bit today, and we're going to let the Lord speak to us. Sarah read our text for the day, and we're going to be in Ephesians. So real quickly, let me tell you where we're going out of Ephesians here. There's two main takeaways that we want to come away with. The first is this, is that we have something... Paul's going to call it an inheritance, and it's really, really good, and it's coming to us after this life if we're a follower of Jesus. The second piece of this, though, is that God hasn't left us alone now. He's given us his Holy Spirit, and this is a way to engage with him and get to know him until we can receive this inheritance, and that Holy Spirit's called a down payment. So that's kind of where we're headed, these these two ideas. We want to talk about those and hopefully encourage us, especially as we're going into Advent. Advent's just the season where we really anticipate Jesus and the birth of Jesus at Christmas. That's what we want to celebrate. And the neat thing about today, too, is that we're actually in a new book of the Bible. If you've got our church reading plan, our Bible reading plan, highly recommend you to engage in that. Uh, We're kind of all over the board in the New Testament because there's a lot of change over in new books because the books are short. And this past week was Ephesians and Colossians. This next week will be Philippians and Hebrews, so lots of good change, lots of good diving through different books of the Bible, but today we're going to be in Ephesians. So Sarah read our text, and I want to start out with a story, and uh, it's kind of an embarrassing story, but I'm going to tell it anyway. So when Georgia, my wife, and I uh, got married, we went up to Colorado on our honeymoon, stayed in this really nice little cabin, and One of the things you got to know about us whenever we were first married is that I learned that George's, one of her love languages, as they call it, was quality time. She really valued quality time. So I thought, well, I'm going to prioritize that. I'm going to prioritize spending quality time with Georgia. And, um, you know, if I want to go watch a game or I want to go hiking or something, nope, I'm going to sacrifice to spend quality time with her. So we're up here, we're on our honeymoon, we're staying in this nice cabin, and we decide we're going to walk from the cabin up to a little lake, right? Good opportunity for quality time. Little did we know that the shoes that we got for her were going to rub massive blisters on the backs of her heels. And so as we walk up to the lake, I could tell she's getting more and more uncomfortable as she walks. And by the time we get to the lake, she has got two half dollar size blisters on both heels, and it's, it's pretty bad. So we're walking back. We, we realize we, get, we got to get back, get these things healed up, do something. About halfway back down, this pickup drives up beside us. And a really, really kind gentleman pops his head out the window and visits with us. And eventually he asks, hey, would you like a ride back down to your cabin? And me and all of my youthful wisdom said, no, no thanks, we're good. I did that because quality time was important to spend with Georgia. So he left. I looked at Georgia with these loving eyes and she looked back with a a look that was well-deserved. And we walked back down to the cabin and her heel blisters got a lot worse. But the point of this is, is that I think I was looking more toward my intentions 
than toward George's in that case. And I think we do this with God a lot, don't we? We're looking into our plans, our vision for our life, what we want, the way we want life to turn out. And we, we rarely sometimes turn an eye to God and say, God, what do you want? What's your plan for my life? What are your intentions? And so Ephesians today is gonna draw this out. We're gonna talk about an inheritance. We're gonna talk about the Holy Spirit. So let's look at verse 11 and 12. Paul again says, in him we've obtained an inheritance. Now let's stop right there. We need to define a term. This term inheritance is exactly what you think it is. It's an estate that's passed down after death. And the interesting thing about this inheritance is that it's passed down after your death, right? A little, little interesting. But in any case, it's, it's something grand and wonderful and great that you get after your death. So I work in the ag industry. I actually don't work here at the church. I work in the ag industry. And in that industry, we were very well acquainted with inheritances. The reason is because of the family farm. In a family farm situation, generally what can happen is that you'll have a mother, a father, you know, some people, grandfather, whoever, that owns the land, they own the operation, and some child will come in and want to take over that operation. In fact, I've got friends that are doing this very thing. The sons are working with the dads to farm the land. The moms usually are working there as well. And even though the son does not own the farming business yet, Everything they have, everything they do is, is revolving around that farming business. And so it's interesting. What happens is that the child usually orients their entire life around an inheritance that they don't yet fully possess. We see it all the time. And this is the same idea here in this text, is that the idea of an inheritance is something passed down to us after we die. So let's talk money for just a second. So if you've ever received an inheritance, you know probably exactly what I'm talking about. Uh, you know, too, that sometimes an inheritance can be a blessing, and sometimes it can be a major curse. It depends on what it is, right? If you get land or a business, or if a bunch of people know that you have a big block of money and they want a piece of the pie, that can be a real burden. This is not what this text is talking about. It's talking about something radically different. We're probably talking something more akin to what we would think of as like cash in the bank. So an inheritance where you just get cash in the bank and then you get to spend that however you wish. This is more similar to the idea that Paul mentions here. And it's something that actually provides us with security, opportunity, relief. And so if you've received something like this, you know exactly what we're talking about. This idea of an inheritance being a blessing to you. Now, if you've never received an inheritance, just imagine receiving half a million dollars in your bank account all of a sudden. Think about what that would do for you, the debt you could pay off, the people that you could help, right? It's, it's, a, it's a big deal to look forward even to an inheritance like that. And think about it this way too. If you've ever maybe gotten college paid for, you had somebody pay for your college tuition, you got a car, somebody helped you get a down payment put down on a house or maybe even gave you a house, this carries that same idea that this inheritance that Paul is talking about that's coming our way is a blessing. It's something good. It's something that you actually want. So what is he exactly talking about? He says, in him we've obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. What is that? What is the inheritance he's talking about? Well, I've got to be honest, I don't exactly no. It's elusive, right? It's, it's different. Now, 
I can tell you some things that the Bible describes it as. It's not exactly a house or cash in the bank. This isn't quite what the Bible talks about, but let me describe it the way the Bible does. The Bible says that it's, it's not going away. So it's not gonna rot and it's not gonna be spent before you get it. It's also pristine and always new. It's not like that thing that you get from a relative in the future, but by the time you get it, it's worthless. That's not what we're talking about. It's also secure. And it's secure because Christ secured it with his life, death, and resurrection. And so you can be guaranteed that you're going to get this if you're a follower of Christ. So whatever it is, it's, it's a good thing, right? You don't have to compare yourself to others when you get it or before you get it. And you don't have to feel lousy around others because you didn't get what they got. Like whatever this inheritance is, it's going to be a really good thing. You'll be perfectly happy with it. And one of the neat things about it too is that it's a community inheritance. So if you're a follower of Christ today, you get an inheritance and you get an inheritance and you get an inheritance and you get an inheritance, right? And we're all going to share this together. It's going to be wonderful. You're gonna be glad that your friends got it as well and maybe even your family. This is going to be a good thing. Think about it too, relationships aren't going to be messy. We're not gonna have complication because we receive this. Hope I've painted a good picture that whatever this inheritance is that Paul's talking about, it's really, really worth chasing down. So you know what this sounds like to me? As I describe this and as I look at the Bible and what it says about it, you know what it sounds like? It sounds like a really good life. It sounds like the thing that we all are chasing and that we see other people chasing. It's really, really good. The problem is it seems a little bit elusive, right? Like, okay, yeah, it's out there. It's kind of vague. I get that I'm getting it, but what is it exactly? And I think that's the point. I think that's what the Bible's getting at is that God has a really good life in store for us someday. We would call it heaven. Paul here calls it this, this idea of an inheritance, inheriting part of the kingdom, inheriting Christ. But whatever it is, actually orienting our life around that can be tricky at times because it seems elusive and far away. But here's the thing. We all orient our life around the thing we find most valuable. We're, we're creatures that are built that way. We're built to orient our life around whatever it is that we find most valuable. So maybe for you, it's some comfort. Maybe for you, it's a legacy, whatever it is. I think we all do this. And it's interesting because I think we do this in two really unique ways. We, we do it in a spend now mentality. So I'm gonna have a lot of fun now. I'm gonna have a really good time. I wanna actually maybe spend my real money now. And I'm gonna do it so that I can enjoy life to the fullest in every single moment. And we see our culture really preaching this to us, to us right now. Enjoy life, get out there, do what makes you happy. So it's a spend now mentality. We also do this though on a save and deposit because there's something better coming type of mentality. This may be something like, I'm gonna get my business built up so that I can have something really great and retire at 55. This is, I'm gonna leave a legacy for my kids and my grandkids. It's that same mentality of spend. It's just, I'm gonna spend later. I'm gonna kind of save up later. And we do this religiously too, interestingly enough. The idea of I'm gonna kind of appease God just enough, but I'm still gonna have my fun or I'm gonna do enough good that way the scales balance out and someday maybe I can appease God enough. 
and have done enough good to make it to heaven. So you can see we do this. We orient our lives around whatever it is we value the most. Ephesians is talking about something a little bit different, though. And what it's talking about is this idea more akin to what I was talking about with my friends that farm. It's talking about, remember my friends, they orient their entire life around getting the inheritance someday, but they haven't left it. It's not like they've left the farm and gone out and said, dad, I'll see you. Let me know when you're about dead and I'll come take the farm over. That's not how they operate. They actually go ahead and get into that operation. They begin farming, they begin learning it all and they're living in the inheritance even though they don't have possession of it yet. This is more of akin to what Ephesians is talking about. The question is this. I don't want to give the impression that there's something wrong with going on a nice vacation or having a good house or getting a good career or feeling like you have good affirmation from your friends at work. That stuff's fine. Don't worry about it. In fact, we want to pursue excellence in all we do. The question, though, is this. Are we spending and saving in the kingdom as our highest priority? Are we spending and saving toward kingdom objectives, toward things that we know God wants us to be oriented around? Or are we doing like I did on my honeymoon and saying, I've got intentions, I've got plans, God, you better bless it. Which one are we doing? So the neat thing about this inheritance that we have from God is this. Again, whatever it is, it's one of those things that is not going away. Ephesians is talking about inheritance that says this, God, when you trust Christ, God says, hey, you're part of the kingdom now and all that I have is yours. Now think about that for a minute. God's saying all that I have is yours. You don't have to hope that God will love you or hope that he'll keep you because he's going to do that. We, we learn later that God puts a down, posit, down, a, a, a down payment, a deposit down on this inheritance that you're about to receive. It's the Holy Spirit. This thing is yours. And how? It's through Christ. And this is why Christ is such a treasure. Because of his life, death, and resurrection, he secures this inheritance for us. It's not gonna go away. We can guarantee that it's coming and we can live in that now. It's really beautiful. So personally, what I've done is I've tried to orient my life around that inheritance that I'm going to receive. I got my whole life banking on that. I've oriented my life around what God's doing now and the way he's gonna relate with me now. But I'll be honest, and I think you may feel this too, that I feel like a lot of times I suffer from a kind of blindness. I don't really see that as that valuable. I don't even treasure Christ as that valuable. So what do we do? And I think that's part of the problem here, right? Is that we've seen that God has something great for us, but we've got a life to live now on this earth, in this world, and it's hard. Times are difficult sometimes. People are really ugly sometimes. I want that life, but what do I do between now and then? It's a good question. And this is where we get into the second part of this passage in verses 13 and 14. I'm gonna read this again. Bible says, in him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. So we're asking the question, how do we get from here to now? We got this great thing coming if we trust Christ, but we got a life to live. What do we do? So do you remember back 
to the story of Jesus right before his crucifixion. This is like John 14, 15, 16. Right before his crucifixion, Jesus had a really close and intimate conversation with his disciples. And they were asking him some really tough questions. Like, God, Jesus, why don't you just show us God right now? And he's like, well, if you've seen me, you've seen God. And then Judas, not Judas Iscariot, but a different guy, Judas asks a, a fascinating question. And he says this. He says, Jesus, why don't you just reveal yourself to the world? Why are you just revealing yourself to us? And then you're going to go away. I don't get that. Why not just reveal yourself to the world? And I'll tell you, I've wrestled over that same question for years. That's a, that's a really good question. Like, why is there this interval? And here's how Jesus answers it. He says, well, I'm glad you asked. What's going to happen is that I'm going to go away, but then I'm going to send the helper, as he calls it, the Holy Spirit. I'm going to send the helper, and then the helper's going to witness, bear witness about me. So you'll know more about me, and he'll remind you of the truth, and then you're going to go out, and you're going to bear witness about me, and then through that process, the church is going to be built, the kingdom's going to be built, and that's how God's going to do it. Okay, that sounds really neat. That's, that's cool. But here's, here was my question after I realized that is why? I'm still asking the same question. Why, Jesus, don't you just reveal yourself to the whole world? Why don't you stand on top of some large tower somewhere and go, I am Jesus, worship me. And then it's done, it's over. You take over and everything's great. Why not? Well, I've wrestled with this for a long time and I think the answer lies in the fact that God wants to have a relationship with you. And God wants you to have a relationship with him. And part of the way that he engages with us is through a promise, through a guarantee, and that's the Holy Spirit. Now, don't let the Holy Spirit scare you. If you're a believer, if you're, if you're in Christ, then the Holy Spirit actually already lives in you. And he's been working in you for a long time, and he works in you day after day after day. So the way this works is that the Spirit is kind of a down payment. That's actually the term used here. It's a down payment, a guarantee of something even better that's going to come. And if you've ever bought anything where you've had to put down a down payment, you know that that means you don't get that money back. That's a guarantee that you're going to close that deal. And the same is true here. When God gives us his Spirit as a down payment, that is a guarantee that he's about to close the deal. It's going to happen. So let that encourage you. I mean, you don't have to wonder, does God love me? You don't have to wonder, am I good enough? Like these questions are irrelevant when you've got a down payment living in you and it's guaranteed and you know you're getting something great in the future. So let's ask the question then, what exactly does the Spirit do? Okay, we've said we have the Spirit living in us if we're followers of Christ. Exactly what does the Spirit do? So here's what the Spirit does, and it's really beautiful. The Spirit points to the treasure, which is Jesus. The Spirit points to the treasure. He opens our eyes and helps us to actually see that treasure, and he empowers us to love others well. That's what the Spirit does. He points to Jesus, he opens our eyes, and he helps us to love just like Jesus loves us. It's a really beautiful thing. And you can see the relational aspect of this. It's totally different than me going, well, all right, God, God shouted from on high. I guess I have to bend the knee. It's totally different than that. It's God living in us, relating with us, pointing to himself, 
in a relationship that makes us want to know him more. It's really, really beautiful. So I want to take away three things here about what the Spirit does, not just what he does, but how he does it, so that you can see this in your own life and begin to experience God in this way a lot more. Okay, the first is that the Spirit is a truth teller. The Spirit is a truth teller. So this is out of John 14 and 16. This is exactly who Jesus said the Spirit is. So you know the value of a good truth teller. And I mean, wouldn't it be great if you had somebody in your life that at any moment of any day, you could call for advice and say, hey, what should I do here? Or, hey, am I seeing this right? That they would always tell you the truth, but they do it in a really, really kind way. Somebody that would be unbiased, clear, they could tell you in the right moment the right thing that you need. And you know, if you, have a, if you have a counselor in your life or if you've got a business consultant that you refer to pretty often, you know the value of a solid truth teller. That is who the Spirit is. He's that valuable counselor at your side that helps, helps you see the truth and see things clearly in a way that nobody else can. It's a really beautiful thing. Now, that's not all the Spirit does in telling truth. He doesn't just come at you with truth and say, hey, so here's the truth, right? The Spirit actually also gives us understanding and wisdom so that we can apply that truth in really loving ways. And uh, here, some of you probably know about this. If, if you've been reading the Bible at all, you probably know how this works. Have you ever had a time when you've been reading the Bible and suddenly you have an insight and you're like, oh, oh, wow, that's really powerful, yeah, that really changed me in that moment. Okay, that's the Holy Spirit. That's the Spirit doing that in you. That's just like having Jesus walk by your side saying, hey, check this out in the Bible. Isn't that neat? That's that relational aspect of that. So let me give you an example of how this works and how the Spirit works in our lives. So there's a verse, Ephesians 4.32. We read that this last week in our, in our reading plan. And it says this. It says, be kind, tenderhearted to one another, Forgiving one another as God and Christ forgave you. Yeah, great verse. We'll put that on a mug and be happy. But think about it. Think about the example where you may be reading this passage one day and you read across that, forgiving one another as God and Christ forgave you. And suddenly you go, as God and Christ forgave me. And you remember. You remember that thing you did that you regret deeply. It causes you pain, maybe caused somebody else pain. And suddenly this, this overwhelming sense of regret hits you. But wait, forgiving one another as God and Christ forgave you. And suddenly you realize, hey, wait, God has forgiven me. I don't have to live in that regret. I don't have to live with my head down. I can live with my head up because God has forgiven me. You say, thank you, God. I praise you for that. That's wonderful. That's the Holy Spirit revealing truth, opening our eyes, pointing to Jesus. That's the Spirit. Isn't that beautiful? And he doesn't just take it there. The cool thing is, let's say in the example again, we go through the example, you go to work the next day and that coworker that can sometimes rub you the wrong way really rubs you the wrong way the next day, does something that berates you. And you're like, oh, I would love to. And then suddenly you remember this verse. Oh, wait a minute. Be kind and tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. And you respond 
in forgiveness toward that person, kindness, tenderheartedness. That's the Spirit again. The Spirit revealed the truth as you read the Bible and then reveals it as you apply it the next day. So you've probably had this happen in your life and you may not have known that's the Holy Spirit, but it is. He's been active and working in you, revealing the truth of the scripture in your heart and then applying it in your life. It's really beautiful. Okay, so the Spirit is a truth teller. Number two, the Spirit is a paraclete. A paraclete. And that's up on the screen if you can't spell that. That's actually a weird little Greek word. And it's a fun one because it sounds funny. But the reason we use that word is because there's really not a good English equivalent. It's a really broad term that means advocate, counselor, helper. It's like the idea of someone who comes alongside you and renders aid. And, and you know, again, you know the value of these people. Now, let me tell you what this is not. Um, have you ever tried, have you ever had somebody come and try to convince you of something that's true, but they're really mean and accusatory towards you? Or maybe you know they've got an agenda and they're telling you maybe some truth, but you say, I, I, you may be saying the truth, but I am not listening to you. You're just ugly about that. That's not the spirit. That's not how the spirit approaches the truth. And that's not how he is a paraclete. Or have you had somebody that they're so kind and they're so affirming and they just encourage you so much, but then they won't tell you if you've got pepper in your teeth. Yeah, that's not the spirit either. The spirit won't berate you. The spirit won't placate you. The spirit will tell you the truth and then come alongside and render aid in time of need. Be your counselor, your advocate. He perfectly mixes truthfulness with advocacy to bring you the truth in a time when you really need it. And it melts your heart with love, compassion, desire. And I think that's the thing, that's the key here to who the Spirit is. If God were to just come booming down and say, I am God, bend the knee, it wouldn't take care of that desire issue within us. But when God works through his Spirit in us, it develops desire within us. So when I was in high school, I mowed lawns for a living. And I say for a living because it felt like I was doing that all day long. But I mowed lawns and my dad knew of a guy in our church named Bob Dillman, not Bob Dylan, Bob Dillman. And Bob needed his lawn mowed. And so I was probably in eighth grade or so and dad loaded me up in the pickup. We went over to Bob Dillman's house. And when I got to Bob's, it looked like a really nice house. And it was, it was one of the nicer ones in my hometown, but... He had a sprinkler system, huge. And so we got into Bob's house and dad said, Jacob, I want you to negotiate with Bob a price for mowing his lawn. I said, okay. So we get into Bob's house and I'm talking with Bob and Bob says, Jacob, how much would you charge me for my lawn? And I said, Bob, uh, $40, which Back in the day, that was probably equivalent to like an $80 or $100 lawn today. So you can kind of do the math there. In my mind, though, that was a $40 lawn. And Bob said, ooh, that's a little pricey. Do you think you could come down on that? And I was like, ah, oh, no, Bob, I, that's I mean, $40. I've got to do it for $40. And in my mind, I'm thinking, you know, this, this thing's going to take hours and hours and hours to mow. By the way, I was just mowing it. I wasn't going to edge or weed eat. So $40 was pretty steep, honestly. But I was... Stuck on $40. And Bob finally said, well, Jacob, thank you, but I think I'll find somebody else to mow my lawn. And I said, okay. So we load back up in the pickup, me and dad. And as we're driving away, dad became a paraclete. 
in that moment. Dad said, he didn't, he didn't berate me and say, man, you really messed that up. He didn't placate me and say, well, you did the right thing, I think. Good job. What dad did was he said, Jacob, I want to suggest, would you consider going back to Bob and telling him that you'll do his lawn for $20? $20, dad, it's a huge lawn. It's going to take me forever. And dad said, Jacob, just trust me on this. Would you go back and ask him to do it for $20? And I said, okay, dad, I trust you. I'll go back. So we went back to Bob's house and I went in and I said, Bob, I'll be glad to do your lawn for $20. And he said, make it 25. And I did his lawn for years. He probably paid for most of my college. But the point of that is, is that dad was a paraclete in that moment. He came alongside me and helped me. He was a counselor, a wise counselor. He could have done all that negotiation for me, but he didn't because he was trying to build me up and empower me. He wanted me to grow. And you know what? That actually grew my relationship with my dad in that moment. I learned to trust him more. That's exactly how the Holy Spirit operates too. He's working for your good. And as you get to know God more through his spirit, you, you, you gain this love and desire to know him and love him more. It's totally different than standing on top of a roof, shouting at people, making them bow the knee. Completely different than that. So the spirit works for your good and builds you up. But here's, here's the really neat thing about the spirit is that while the spirit is building you up, yes, that's for you. Yes, that's for your good. But he's also doing that in you so that you can go and build up others. And so this is point number three, that the spirit is a gift giver. The spirit is a gift giver. And this is out of 1 Corinthians 12. So the spirit doesn't just dump a bunch of knowledge on you and then just dump a bunch of wisdom so that you'll make good choices. He actually equips you to build up others. And this makes sense. I mean, think about the world we live in. It's difficult, it's hard. And, and you probably know some people that they seem to have it all together and they think they have it all together because they don't really have any troubles in their life. And I'm not speaking for every one of them, but you know those people that are like that and maybe they're not that nice Maybe they're not really selfless. And you think, yeah, I'm glad they've got it together, but I don't know if I would ever go to them if I was in need. It's not the person I would go to. And so God's not just interested in building you up for your own sake so that you feel good about yourself. God's actually interested in building you up. And as you're being built up, that spills over into others around you. And so imagine the scenario where a whole group full of people empowered by the Spirit are going through a really tough life, which we are. We're going through that period between accepting Christ and getting the inheritance. But as we go through that, we're facing challenges with joy. We're facing relationships with peace instead of turmoil. Why? Because we have the Spirit of God living in us. We have a hope looking to a future that we're going to get and knowing that God's given us a down payment now. And even though life is hard, somehow our troubles seem less important than the fact that God lives in us and relates with us on a daily basis and that we can do that through his word. It's really, really beautiful. And it also makes a difference because instead of being a group of people that are focused on whatever bigger upgrade we can make to our house, or our status at work, instead of looking to those things, like we still maybe work towards some of those things, but people see it's not our top priority at all. We have a different priority. 
We've done like those farm kids and we've oriented our entire life around this inheritance that is not yet ours and yet we're living in it because we have oriented our life around the desires of God. You haven't done like Jacob on his honeymoon and oriented our lives around what we want alone. That's how the spirit works in us. And he does this through the word. So again, I'll encourage you, if you haven't gotten on the Bible reading plan, go find it, download it. I printed mine off because I'm old, old school and I still check mark things. But get in that because that's where you'll meet God. That's where you can meet the Spirit. So that's it. I mean, God has something really, really great for you if you're a follower of Christ. And we get to experience that through knowing the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. And if you're not following Christ today, I invite you to do that. I mean, everything we've talked about here is the life you've ever wanted. And so following Jesus is a path to that. It's the path to that. And all of us, I want to encourage us and invite us to really connect with God. He's given us avenues to do that. It's through his word and his spirit working in us in his word. It's through community. And so that's the invitation is to connect with God. The riches that he'll give us now far outweigh than all the riches that we're aiming toward now in this life and in this world. And then the ones he's got for us in the future, I mean, that blows all of that out of the water. So I invite you, connect with God through his Bible, connect through his spirit, and know the treasure that is in Christ. Let's pray. God, we're really grateful. Uh, you have given us an amazing treasure in Christ. And thank you for the down payment of your spirit now. Thank you that we can live in your spirit and experience who you are and all that you have for us and even be a blessing to others and that, that people around us would be encouraged as well because of all that. Um, God, help us to live in that. You know the, the things we struggle with, the things we have our eyes on now, the riches we have our eyes on here in this world that don't really ever pay off. So we pray that you'd help us open our eyes, help us to see who you are and help us to see the riches that are to come and even the riches that we have now. And Lord, let us live as people who are living for the inheritance and not as kids that run away and then come back later. God, we thank you and we pray all this through Jesus. Amen.